morning. If you have a Bible, would you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? I want us to think about this morning the necessity of holiness. Uh, There won't be any notes on the screen, so you'll just have to listen really well. Uh, But I've just got three points, so if you're writing something down, uh, just make three, three lines and you can fill them in as we go. I'd planned to preach this sermon today, several weeks ago, as Jeremy and I had talked about the schedule coming up, and then in his mercy, his kindness to me, uh, Jeremy didn't require me to preach this morning, having been gone from, uh, from West Virginia to, to see my family and, and um, be there with my dad's funeral. Thank you, church, for your overwhelming mercy to us and how you've prayed for me and my family. Uh, it's been truly a blessing from the Lord that you have been so kind to us uh, and thinking about us and, and praying for us. Uh, but the Lord has the last word in all things. And this morning I was returned to the schedule to preach uh, this morning. So we're going to dig into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and think about the necessity of holiness. Holiness may not be a very important word in your thinking or may not be maybe a very frequent word <clears throat> hopefully that'll change by the end of today if that's not true of you at this point uh, let's read first thessalonians chapter four let me let me turn back um, in god's church holiness is an important word and i have no doubt that our church is eager for holiness so they though you may not speak the word uh, it is the eager desire of every Christian. So please don't misunderstand me this morning. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see God's plan, God's ideas about holiness for his people. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 3. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now I'm going to stop right there in the middle of that sentence. And I recognize that is an odd thing to do. We don't normally stop in the middle of sentences. Uh, But that's purposeful because in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is, is going to dig in specifically to an issue, a specific issue of holiness. But he begins this chapter thinking about the general uh, big picture of holiness. And so today I want to focus on this bigger picture, the overarching umbrella of holiness in the life of believers. And God willing, sometime in the future, maybe I can dig into the specific issue of holiness, which he relates to the issue of of sexual sin. Uh, I started to teach through this letter several years ago here at Harvest Point. And we roll around to it every once in a while. I need to remind you of a few things about this letter just so we know where we're headed. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. It is a church that he had uh, planted and spent a little bit of time there. He would have liked to have spent more time there teaching and and instructing the church and and helping them to grow. But he was, uh, as it were, kind of ripped apart from them. Verse 17 in chapter 2 says that he was... Uh, torn away from them as his brothers. He wanted to spend much more time there with them. Uh, he, had, he had cared for them spiritually. He, he says that his, his attitude towards them was like a loving father and also like a caring mother. He 
there's one way that it's appropriate to take both roles, uh, like a pastor towards his, his flock in the church. Paul was looking out for these believers. Uh, he, he longed to be back with them. As he writes this letter, he's not present with them, hence the, the reason for the letter. And he wants to return to them to, to help them continue on in the faith, to grow in the faith, because they're not mature yet as all God's people who are left on this earth are, we have not yet made it as far as we need to. They, the church needed to grow. They were a, a young church. And so Paul is, is wanting to be with them, to encourage them in the faith, to, to help them on, to advance in the faith. And by the time we get to chapter 4, Paul begins the instructional part of his letter. He, he often does that in his letters, so you can read frequently. He, he gives a, a personal or a doctrinal portion at the beginning, and then he gets into the the application towards the end of the letter. So you'll hear a lot of theology, a lot of teaching at the beginning of Paul's letters and a lot of practical living out that, that instruction later on in his letters. And here, here's the break in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4 is the, the practical portion. And it's not as if he, he simply cuts it off and, and changes his complete tone. He's been speaking about this issue of holiness already. Look up in verse 13. He's praying. It begins in actually verse 11. May our God and Father himself, verse 13, establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul is praying for this church that when, the, when Christ returns, they would be seen by him as being holy, blameless in holiness. That when Christ would come and, and find this church, he would find them a holy church, a church who is pure. Here in chapter 4, he repeats this idea of holiness. I didn't read the word holiness, but look in verse 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. In verse 7, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. There in verse 3, I did read, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Lest I sound too confusing. In the original words, that's the exact same word for holiness that's found in verse 4 and 7. If you have the New American Standard, it translates those words the same. You have sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. If you have the ESV, then you got holiness in 4 and 7. But in verse 3, for some reason, they use the word sanctification. It would be better if they just used holiness the whole time. This is the will of God, your holiness. It doesn't get much clearer than that. This is an overarching idea in 1 Thessalonians. Paul even ends the letter, look in verse 23 in chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In other words, make you holy completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Don't miss the grand nature of those two verses. This is the issue of sanctification, growing in holiness. God is bringing his people to a place of blamelessness, holiness, preparing us for the return of Christ. So that when Christ returns, if we by chance are still here on this earth, God would, would in Christ find us as a holy people, separated from this world. And the good news is, verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. This is the work of God and his people to make his people holy. It's the work that God's doing in his 
children, to, to make us holy both inside and outside. He's changing our hearts to love things that are holy. He's changing our lifestyle so that we do things that are holy. It's as if God is taking the towel and wringing out the sin that's left in our flesh. Sometimes that act of sanctification is very difficult, painful even. As if God is, is just squeezing everything that's left out of us so that we are not like this world. So that we are not described as the people of this world who care nothing about God. So that every sin, every worldly desire, every lack of faith, every short dependence on the Lord is, is dripped out of us. So that what is left is a people who are pleasing in God's sight and wholly dependent on God. In this way, sanctification, becoming holy, is, is something that we welcome. And yet, it often hurts. Holiness is hard. You can think about sanctification uh, as part of a threefold portion of God's work of salvation. Okay, stick with me. So in the past, God has saved us from sin, right? This is what we call justification. God brought us out of, out of sin, and so we are seen as righteous and right before God's sight. So all of us in this room who claim the name of Christ, if we are depending on Christ, then when God looks at us, he sees us as a righteous people. Now, let me ask you a question. How many days do you feel like that describes you? Probably far fewer than you would like. But in the past, God has moved us, has declared us righteous. That's justification. In the future, God will, will bring us all the way to heaven. He will, he will make us actually righteous. That's called glorification. It's not going to happen just yet on this earth. It's going to happen in the future. So God has saved us from the penalty of sin in the past. He will eventually save us from the complete presence of sin in the future. But while we're here, while we're still here, we have this process of sanctification, this being made holy, like a, like a dot to dot from, from the Lord. He has saved us in the past. He will finally completely save us in the future. And while we wait, he is incrementally saving us as we move along, taking out the sin, taking out the lacks of faith that still remain, making us a people more and more like God himself. So that at every point in our Christian walk, we should be able to claim something like the Apostle Paul, that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It will only be complete in heaven, but the work must go on while we are still in this life. And all three parts of these, uh, all three aspects of this one salvation must go together. You can't have one without the other two. So God started this sanctification at the new birth he decided he would make us holy and he will complete this process of sanctification when we reach heaven and all the while in the middle he's he's working this process out of us so brothers and sisters we must have holiness we must have a growth in holiness we must have sanctification if sanctification is not occurring then justification never happened and if you're not growing in holiness, if we're not seeing this process of sanctification being worked out, then glorification will not happen. 
God is making you and me fit for the home he has already prepared for us in heaven. He is making us acceptable for his presence. This is the issue of holiness. God is making us like himself, like our holy God. And more specifically, God is making us like his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, who was God, came in the flesh to experience the trials and the temptations of life like we experience. And on the flip side, God is is making us to be more like his holy son, Jesus Christ, so that at one time in the future, we will be completely conformed to the image of God's son. So that, like Romans 8.29 says, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now in our modern age, sanctification has been replaced by the idea of self-help. Or in today's words, self-care. But let me be real frank. You, friends, don't want to be a better you. You want to be a completely different person. You want to be like the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. That's what it requires to get to heaven. Now the issue isn't simply heaven, it's being pleasing to God. You will never be completely pleasing to God in your flesh. But if you will be like his son, Jesus Christ, you will be pleasing to God. This is why worldliness is so repulsive in the eyes of God. The world isn't offering us anything special. The world wants us just to be like everything else in the world. But God's call in the gospel is to come out of the world to be completely different. To be not like the world, but to be like Christ. And this is what God is doing in you and me from one day to the next in our Christian life. So don't turn away from the work that God is doing in your life. Often, it's a good work. Often, it seems like a hard and difficult, maybe even a bad work. But don't think of it that way. We know Romans 8, 28, right? God works together. What? Good? And we also often want to quote that verse as if it feels good. But from the eyes of God, from God's perspective, sometimes the hard things are the good things. Seems like this middle portion of salvation is the one that's often neglected, even in the church today. We, we like to claim justification by faith. God has made us who we are, and no power of our own. We stand before God right before him, and that is absolutely true. There is nothing that you and I can do to make ourselves right with God. We also like to claim this future inheritance that we will receive. We're going to make it to heaven and God is going to give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because of the work that Christ has done. That is absolutely true. But we sometimes, I think, hear little of the need to strive to enter the rest of God. To take the kingdom by force. To be diligent. To be found by the Lord without blemish and without spot. There is an effort. There is a an eagerness, there is a, a work that we do. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, some might accuse me of becoming legalistic before the sermon is over today. <clears throat> but please listen to the rest of the verses as we walk through what Paul has said in verses 1 through 3. 
How do we know that holiness is necessary? I want to give you three reasons that Paul mentions in these, well, two and a half verses. First, because holiness is the goal of preaching. Look in verse 1. Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Think about Paul as a preacher here. He is he's asking this church. He's urging them. He's reminding them what they have received from him already, this teaching. And he's encouraging them to, to, to move on, to go on in this body of truth. What is that? It's how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God. See, preaching isn't a performance. It's not an act. Well, it is an act, but it's, it's not an act on a stage. There's a stage here. It's not a play. It's not something for you to, to rejoice and celebrate over necessarily, unless it's part of your sanctification. Preaching is a tool. It's the tool that God uses to work on his people. For the preacher first, but then for the, for the hearers of the sermon. It is an asking and urging and encouraging. It is instruction that you would live a life that is pleasing to God. You should hear several things in every single sermon. If your favorite preacher doesn't include these several things, then you should probably find a new favorite preacher. Those things would be things like instruction. Instruction in the things that please God. Every sermon should be conveying to his hearers the things that please God. Sermons should be directing their hearers to a new way of life. I mean... I'm a preacher sometimes, and I like to listen to sermons, but not everyone is like me. <laughs> so I know for you to listen to a sermon, for some people, that's a, that's a task. That's a, that's a work. That's a work of obedience to the Lord. If that sermon's not instructing you to change, to grow, to be different, friends, you're really just wasting your time. I don't have any problem telling a preacher he's wasting his time if he's not telling his people how to change and to grow in the Lord. To grow more holy. There's an, an aspect of instruction that is necessary in preaching. There's also exhortation and encouragement. This is what Paul is saying. We, we ask you. We, we urge you. It's not simply a request, but it's, a, it's an urging. It's a, it's a pushing. There's a challenge to aim for this way of life. The way of life that is walking to please God. There is a pressure that you should feel when you hear sermons. That's not a bad thing. That's the purpose of preaching. Preachers shouldn't be like a grumpy coach, but we should be instructing as the Lord Jesus instructed, speaking the truth in love. Because church, this is God's plan for you, that you would grow in holiness, to, to be sanctified, to hear the word of God preached and to, to come out of that sermon a different person because the word is working in you. Preaching should describe reality and then push you to something different to push you to something more, that something more should be holiness. There also is, is an aspect of authority that should be present in preaching. You might miss it if you read that verse very quickly. Paul says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Paul spoke as if he was a messenger for the Lord Jesus. Preaching should be speaking as if speaking the oracles of God. It's not a, a sideshow, but the main attention should be given to, to the hearing of the preaching of God's word. We listen as if we hear the Lord himself speaking to us. 
to draw us out of the sin that remains and to, to move us into holiness, into the pleasure of God. We listen as if the Lord himself is speaking his very own words so that when we hear this word, we must respond. And if we don't respond, then we risk rejecting not only the preaching, not only the sermon, but also the word of God. And, and even greater than that, we, re, we risk rejecting the Lord himself. Now, I say that in a very guarded tone. Because there's a great weight to this thing called preaching. James says, let not many of you become teachers because you will be judged with greater strictness. So I don't say that as if, as if the church should simply just give up and submit to everything a preacher should say. A preacher should first of all submit to the, the guiding um, truth of the word. And he who would speak in the name of the Lord Jesus must be very careful about the words that comes out of his mouth. Because if he says something that the Lord Jesus wouldn't say, that sermon is not pleasing to God. But Paul is urging in the Lord Jesus, this young church, in the main things of the Christian life, living a daily life of pleasing God, of walking the way they should walk, the way they ought to walk, in a manner that pleases God. And this is the content of, of the New Testament letters specifically, and really the Bible generally. God is, is drawing out a people who is different who is separate for him. He is calling people out of the kingdom of darkness, out of sin, out of the world, to, to create a people for himself, a people for his own possession. That's the issue of holiness, to be dedicated to the Lord and to the Lord's work. Now this means that sometimes preaching is painful because we love the things that we love. Now, sometimes painful preaching is the preacher's fault, right? <laughs> I recognize that. But sometimes we leave a sermon and the proverbial toes have been stepped on. That's not the preacher's fault. That's God working holiness in you when you hear the truth. And good preaching should bring about this process of holiness to take you one step further in the the goal of the Christian life, to be fit for eternity. But notice what Paul's instruction is in verse 1. We ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus, here at the very end of verse 1, that you do so more and more. Here's the application of this portion of what Paul is saying. Advance in holiness. Church, move on in this step of holiness, in this process of sanctification, to go from one point to the next. This is the part of the Christian life that we participate in. Yeah, when God saved us from sin at the beginning, there was nothing we could do about that. God had to bring dead people to life by his sovereign work of regeneration. And yes, it is all God's work to take us all the way home to heaven. We can't raise up our new bodies in the new heavens and new earth. God is going to do that. But while we're still in this life, the process of sanctification, of aiming for holiness... We work together with God in that. Now don't hear me too, too much. God is, is the one who's working and willing this in us. But it is also our responsibility to, to add discipline and striving to be eager and zealous for this process in us. And so Paul says this very thing, do so more and more. Just as you have known what the, the right way to walk and to please God is, do that more and more. 
Aim for it. Do what it takes. Exercise your, yourself in your spiritual life. Exercise is not fun. I try. Neither is spiritual exercise sometimes fun. It's hard. There is spiritual sweat. There is spiritual broccoli. <laughs> there are things that are hard to do, not only in your physical life, but also in your spiritual life. But the benefit far outweighs the cost. So church, press on in this, in this faith. Do so more and more, just as Paul is telling this church at Thessalonica. But the second reason for holiness being necessary is, is like the first, but it goes even deeper. And in verse 2, we see that holiness is the command of the Lord. Holiness is the command of the Lord. It's not simply the goal of preaching, but it's the command of the Lord Jesus. You know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. That word instruction, it's not like, you know, second grade math. This is a, a message from a greater authority. It's like the message from a king that he sends by way of a messenger. He's instructing his people. Yeah, it comes from a, a lowly messenger. But the instruction itself is the message of the king. It is to be obeyed. <clears throat> the instruction we get through faithful preaching, through reading of the word of God, is, is not simply the word of man. It is through the Lord Jesus. It is the instruction from our Lord and Master himself. We can go all the way back to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Do you remember those verses? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's the important part. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I often hear the baptizing part, but we sometimes forget that there's teaching to, to observe. There is, there is an obedience that comes along in this Christian life. This is the point of discipleship. Following Christ really. Not just in words, but in action. But in doing the things that Jesus said. Now I'll go back and harp on preachers for a moment. Because sometimes preachers want to go beyond the instructions of the Lord and, and add to what Christ has said. And they tread in places that they should not tread when they do that, they become more like a Pharisee and less like an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus. But this is the purpose of preachers, is to, to bring the instructions of the Lord to the church. And so that when you hear the preaching of God's word, you hear the very things that Christ has said. Church, this might just make the Christian life a little bit simpler than, than what some of us have thought about. The Christian life is about holiness. It's about taking what God has said through the words of Christ, obeying them, applying them to the, today's life, aiming to please the Lord in your daily living, going to sleep at night, waking up and doing the same thing tomorrow. That's the Christian life. Pleasing the Lord in a holy life. Aiming to obey Christ. We want to put to use what God has said. That doesn't make it easy. <laughs> but this is the Christian life, to aim for holiness. Our Lord commands our obedience. He commands our holiness. And he commands our growth in these things. So church, don't work against the instructions of the Lord. Hear them and, and press on 
towards more holiness. You go to the word of God, receive it for what it is, the word of God. Hear God speaking, even through Christ, when you read his word. And and let that word sink deeply in your heart and mind and and cherish it for what it really is. The words of our master, our Lord, who who died on the cross to to pay for our sin. And now he he gives us the Holy Spirit, the the power to obey and to, to grow in holiness, to be like the people that God wants us to be. The very people he saved us to be. So value the word of God. Well, there is some encouragement in this sermon. Hopefully you hear it. The third reason that sanctification is necessary. It is both challenging and encouraging to hear these words. Uh, Holiness is necessary because holiness is the will of God. That's what verse 3 says, right? You don't need me to explain it very much. This is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness. This is God's plan from the very beginning. Paul said in other places in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we are his workmanship created what? In Christ Jesus for good works. This is the actions of holiness, good works. Those are the things that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has saved us from sin and moved us into this place of of obedience to Christ that we would do good works and reflect the work that God has done in us. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is what God saves people to do, to become holy. God is drawing out a people out of this world to be separate from this unholy world, to be dedicated to the service of God, to the worship of God, to being a reflection of of who God is through his son, Jesus Christ. Church, that's what God is doing in you. And holiness is absolutely necessary. Titus 2, verse 11, says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And here's what it does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us, for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Holiness is what Christ has done in his work in the gospel. He has died for all the sin that we once committed and all the sin that we will commit. But he has has worked in us a a new way of life, a new desire, a new plan, a new glad joy to be the people that God sees us to be. God sees us as holy. Isn't that gracious? And not only does he just see us as holy and righteous in his sight, but he's actually working it out so that we become the people that he sees us to be. That is the work of the gospel. Let me show you a passage in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles and you would like to turn back to Isaiah chapter 34. Maybe this will be a picturesque way to think about this necessity of holiness. Isaiah chapter 34. Isaiah has a lot of good news in it. Isaiah also has a lot of judgment 
I suppose we could say the good news is only so good because the judgment is so bad, right? In Isaiah chapter 34, Isaiah is declaring by the word of the Lord judgment on people who are opposed to God. In Isaiah chapter 34, verse 8, the, the Bible says, The Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. There will be a day of, of judgment for God's place, this city of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched, its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom. And all its princes shall be nothing. Stick with me, we're going to read a little bit more. You get the idea. This day of vengeance is going to, to destroy this place. It's going to be an empty wasteland. Just the animals, who aren't even friendly animals, are going to live there, dwell there. Verse 13, thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals and abode for ostriches. Wild animals shall meet with hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to his fellow. Indeed, there the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. There's more. The owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, there the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. The mouth of the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. And all of this is, a, is the, the effect of God's judgment, God's vengeance on a place where um, you notice the word Edom back there in verse 9. This is a people a land that God has cast his judgment on, who were always enemies of the Lord. This is what it will be like for those who live apart from the Lord. It's not a very hopeful picture. Look in verse 1 of chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly. And rejoice with joy and singing. We get some words of hope here. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Be strong. Fear not. Behold your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God. He will come and save you. There, there is a, a people who will receive vengeance. And, and judgment from the Lord. And yet even in the midst of that. There are those who will who will be saved by the coming of the Lord. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. You're getting this contrast. There's a, a, a destructed wasteland of judgment. And yet there is this renewal from the Lord. There will not be complete and utter destruction. There will be a salvation, a, a place of, of renewed life. Look in verse 8. I'm getting to the point here. 
and a highway shall be called there, and it shall be called the way of what? Holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. What a picture of the way to this renewed city of God, to the place that God has, has, has saved from the destruction that is coming. It is a, a way of holiness. You cannot get to this place apart from the way of holiness. So it is with the Christian life. We will not make it to God's prepared place if we are not a people of holiness. Holiness is absolutely necessary. Church, God has done the work that is necessary for us to advance in holiness. He has, he has saved us by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us the Holy Spirit to to convict us and to teach us and to train us and to, to move us from one, one measure of holiness to the next. Church, press on in holiness. We must. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize the absolute necessity of holiness we also recognize our deep sinfulness that it certainly has taken a work of God to move us out of the pattern of sin father we praise you and we thank you for your work in us it took us out of darkness out of evil out of iniquity out of wickedness and yet Lord we are sometimes drawn back in that way. The world is sometimes enticing to us. Our flesh is sometimes persuasive. So we ask, Lord, that you would turn our hearts again. Give us a deep distaste for the old way, such a desire for the new way, for the way of holiness. Father, we praise you that you are faithful. You will bring this work to pass. We thank you that it's your plan. The will of God is the sanctification of your people. Lord, work that out in us. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray.